strong, aren't we? We're going to make it. The Lord is good, even in the midst of... <laughs> this is life, right? Like, even in the transit, it's like, everything's going good one Sunday, and next Sunday is like, the screens are flashing and all this. It's like, and we can relate. You're like, that was my week. And we're talking about relationship today, and God is in the middle of our weeks, and He is relational, and He's never left us nor forsaken us. He is with us, even in this moment this morning. You know, I, was, I have a lot of scriptures today, and I was panicking when I saw the screens going, and I started marking my Bible frantically with little blue bookmarks so I could, like, oh, I got to get to all these passages. So, Lord, Lord, keep the screens working, we pray. Pray with me. Lord, I, I'm just so grateful that you're here in the midst. Just as we were singing, above and below, before and behind, Lord, you surround us with your presence. The nearness of our God is our good. You are good. We're so thankful, God, that you call us to yourself. Through Christ, you make us new. And so we want to just be in awe of the pursuit that you have for mankind. How you make a people for yourself. We want to understand what it means to be a relational people. And we can only understand that if we see you, Lord, for who you are, a relational God. So show us this morning, Holy Spirit, teach us this morning. Open our eyes. May we just, in some place, at some scripture today, may we just be in awe that this is who you are. And this is how you respond to us. And this is how you work. And this is what you say. Lord, we... We want to be more like Christ, and we want to celebrate the table together in a way that honors you and honors the Son, Christ Jesus. So Spirit, we invite you in this moment right now to work, to do that good work in us so that all of our worship, all of life would just culminate in exalting you, God. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29 today, verses 1 through 14. Now, this is a very uh, familiar chapter, and as I read it, you might be like, well, it's not real familiar with, to me, but there is a, a little portion in this that gets yanked right out of Scripture, slapped on T-shirts, coffee mugs, and all sorts of things, and you're going to be like, oh yeah, I know that verse. And what I want us to see is that God is a relational God today. He walks with us and he talks to us. And this verse that we see and hear about the goodness of God and, and the plans he has for his people, I want us to see it not in just this passage. Because this passage is a specific promise that has been given, and it's a specific promise that has been fulfilled. It was for God's people, Israel, during the exile, and he fulfilled it. 
And we often will read Scripture and say, oh, I like that. I'll claim that. This isn't for us to claim. This doesn't pertain to any of us this morning. But these promises found in that Scripture are throughout. So it's a very succinct. We like this one because it's right to the point. This is God. He's relational. This is what he thinks about me or what I think about. This promise is found throughout. I'm going to show it to you today. So while we may look at that scripture and say, oh, I love that promise, I want you to see that when God says something, he fulfills it. He does it. And this is a testimony to a faithful God. This is a promise we look at and say, isn't God awesome? He promised this to his people. He fulfilled it. And he makes the same types of promises to us. Here they are in the word, and he will fulfill them all. So if you have your Bible, you open it uh, with me to Jeremiah 29. Uh, If you want to, you can try to follow along on the screen as long as we have it. Starting in verse 1 through 3. It says this, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconahah and the queen mother of of the eunuchs of the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elash, the son of Shaphan, and Gemara, the son of Hilkah, who Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. <sighs> I love the Old Testament. So Jeremiah the prophet sent a letter to these elders who survived the Babylonian exile. And he's, he's writing to them. And they had been carried away just as the Lord had said. So Jeremiah had said, you're going to be carried away. We're going into exile. And there were some who were like, no, God's going to deliver. God's going to say, this isn't going to happen. No, God spoke, and it was just as he said. They were taken away. And then Jeremiah writes a letter to them, and, and he's wanting to tell them that God is still talking to them. So no doubt some of them who had been taken away were feeling God had abandoned them. Do you ever feel that way? Like life is just kind of crazy, it's out of control, and you're just like, where's God in the midst of this? Like I have all these things going on, and this is happening with my family or with my kids or with my job or with my relationships and my friends. Like I, I I have all these things happening, and I feel like I'm alone in this. Where is God, who's supposedly never left me nor forsaken me? Where is he? And I'm sure these uh, who are in exile are thinking, we have been carried away by Nebuchadnezzar. Where is God? He's abandoned us. He sent us away. Don't miss the significance that Jeremiah is writing a letter. This is the prophet of God writing to writing what the Lord was saying to them. So God is still speaking. That's significant. It's like, hey, you've been carried away. Jeremiah is writing you a letter. And what does that mean? It means that the Lord is still talking. He hasn't left you. He hasn't stopped talking to you. He's still working. In the midst of the exile, he's still speaking to his people. 
And so Jeremiah is writing what God wants them to hear. So they're carried away, but God has not left them. God hasn't left us either. He still speaks to us today. He's he's promised this, and he's promised it by himself. So when God makes promises, who does he promise by? He promises by himself, by his own character, his own nature. He says, you can trust it because I've promised it by who I am. And so we see this. Uh, John uh, 15, verse 26, he promises to give us the comforter. He says, but when the helper comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So he says, I am going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the comforter. So Jesus says, when I return, I will send one to you. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can, say conf- so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So he is with us, and he comforts us, and he, he gives us great help. This is a promise given by Christ to us. He promises by himself, this is what I do. So as we come to Christ, we have these promises that he's not leaving us. So no matter what our situation is, God has not quit the relationship. He's still committed to the relationship. Now this next passage is a little bit long. It came up in our prayer and worship time last night, and just as I was going through, I just felt like, man, this so beautifully fits what we're talking about. He is still committed to the relationship. So Hosea 2, 14 through 23, it says this, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give, give her vineyards and make the valley of Echor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and, I, and no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for her myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, this was what one of the children was named, and I will say to not my people, another name of one of the children, he says, and I shall say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. He hasn't quit the relationship. He's committed, and he says, look at what I will do for my people, and they will call me husband, and I will be their God, And he talks about the blessing of the relationship. 
This is a relational God. This is not God is somewhere up there in the heavens and he just kind of lets everything spin as it is and he just, and no, God is here in the midst with us right now. Where two or three are gathered together, he is in the midst. Do you believe that? Like, he's with us. He is in us. So God is committed to the people of the Old Testament, and he's committed to his people in the New Testament, and he's committed to his bride, the church. All of us who are in Christ, he has committed himself to us. So what does God say to these that we're looking at in our passage who, who are dwelling in relationship with him? Let's look at the next section of our passage, verses 5 through 9. He goes on and says this, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it is for it's, in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So he tells them, first, he says, build homes and dwell in them. They're not in their land. And the, and the prophets and the diviners in that land, as he talks about in the end of that passage, are saying, we're not going to be here long. Don't worry. Like, don't, you, know, you don't need to get a job. Don't, don't worry about houses. Don't, you know, we're not going to be here. God's going to deliver. God's going to send us back. We're not going to be here long. And Jeremiah said, you're going to be there 70 years. And, and so these prophets are speaking different words. And Jeremiah says, listen to what the Lord has said what he has proven, what has happened. So as he has said it, it has come to pass. So these others are prophesying differently. They're not in agreement with the Lord. So don't listen to them. Listen to what the Lord says. And he says, you're going to be there in this place. This is not your homeland, but this is where you are dwelling. Well, in many ways, we who are in Christ, this is not our home. This is where we're dwelling. Hebrews eleven sixteen it says, But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared for them a city. Doesn't that sound good? He's prepared for us a place, a city, a heavenly dwelling. This is not our home. This is temporary. We are passing through. But what does he say to us? Well, he says to us the same thing he's saying here to his people of covenant. He's saying, build some houses. Plant your family. Look for the good of the city. This is where you are. Dwell there. Find contentment. Thrive. Do not decrease. Be, be active in your life. So do we ignore the world around us? No. We can act the same way where we could be like, well, I'm just passing through. Or Jesus is going to come back and, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just looking for that blessing to come. 
yeah, we should look for that blessing to come, but in the meantime, we, we, we look to do what God has for us to do, and that is to, to, to thrive, to, to preach the king and the kingdom, to increase and not diminish. So there's two thoughts. There's the physical flourishing. So we have to be wise. We have to discern the times. We have to discern the seasons. We, we, we are to plant ourselves and to prosper, to, to work. And, and to, as he's saying here, to raise sons and daughters and give them in marriage and have them married off and, and, and grow your families. This physical flourishing. The other is spiritual flourishing. And I like what, what he says here to, to them. And I believe it's exactly what we need to hear for us today as we think about uh, reaching our communities for Christ, he says to them, seek the welfare, this is verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For, it is, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. He says the spiritual flourishing. Seek the advancement of the kingdom in where you live. Bring the principles of Christ to the relationships, to the workplace, to, to the schools, to wherever you are. Bring those things with you and look for its good. Bring good to them. This is where good dwells, is with the Lord. So keep sharing Christ. Keep sharing these things. And then, like John says in his letters, have a lot of spiritual children. He writes often, my little children. Why is he saying that? Because he's discipling people. He's sharing Christ with them. They're coming to faith, and he's saying, you're like my child in the Lord now, so I'm going I'm to raise you up. I'm flourishing, and I'm seeing offspring, not just physical offspring, but spiritual offspring. And so you may say, well, my time and season's gone. My kids are grown. I'm a grandparent. I never had. You can have many spiritual children. <laughs> Find the welfare of the city. May it thrive as we thrive in our relationship with God. So he tells them, this is what you're to do. Seek the, the peace of the city. Seek the good of the city. Be a blessing to your neighbors. Leviticus 19.18 says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is where it first appears here in Leviticus. We see in Matthew 5, verse 43, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So there was this sense of the people of God in the Old Testament carrying it into when Christ was, was walking the earth. They said, we are to seek the good of our neighbor. Our neighbor is those who are like us. We may dwell in a different place, but those are not really our neighbors. Our neighbors are our people. We will love them as ourselves, but we'll kind of outcast and ostracize and, and not look for the good of others. And, and Jesus says, you've been told to, to, to love your, your neighbor but hate your enemies, but we are to love everyone. Matthew twenty-two, thirty-nine. he says, the seconds like this of the great commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We love all people. I mean, if you think about it for just one second, if this teaching didn't take root in the New Testament church, you and I would not have been brought near. We're Gentiles. 
We're not the neighbors under the old way of thinking. But Jesus says, no, no, no. They too, you and I, are their neighbor. And they share the gospel with us. The, the church comes to understand, like, oh, we share and we love and we seek the thriving of all people. And so then the gospel comes to us as well. God is the God of those who will draw near. So he says, pray to the Lord for it. Pray to the Lord for the thriving of your community, for the, the growth of the kingdom in your midst. You pray for your neighbors. Do you know how to pray for your neighbor? I'm not talking about like, well, yeah, I go in there and I sit down in my chair and I open my Bible and I start, Lord. No, not like, do you know how to pray for your neighbor? Do you know your neighbor? Do you know them? Do you know their family? Do you know their work situation? Do you know the relationships that they're in? Do you know the things that they're struggling with? Do you know those people around you? Because if you don't know them, then your prayers are going to be very general. Lord, bless them. And those are okay prayers. But if you said, Lord, I'm lifting up my neighbor, and right now they're really struggling. And here's what's happening, Lord. Will you intervene? Will you come? Will you bring peace? Will you work on their behalf? God, will you give me what I need to minister to them, to help them, to meet needs. That's praying for their neighbor. And when you do that, you bring the kingdom with you and you start transforming lives around you. So when he says to them, pray for the good of the city, you gotta be in the city. You gotta be around people. You gotta know them. It's relational. So God, who's relational with us, says, go be relational with the world around you. Not to be like the world, but to bring the king and the kingdom to the world. Be praying for them. Pray for your neighbors. Pray that the Lord would help us to bring peace or shalom through our good works and actions. We're asking God to bring his peace to the world, his shalom. So we're, we're working and we're praying on behalf of those who are in darkness. Pray that the Lord would send out harvesters we've talked about in, in weeks past, Luke 10, verse 1, it says, after the Lord appointed 72, he says he wants them to go out in two by two to every place in every town where he himself is about to go, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. He says, pray for those neighbors, that others would be sent out into it. That's you and me. We're praying for ourselves. We're praying that the Lord would strengthen us and encourage us that we would be sent out into the harvest. So we talked about that in more detail a week ago when we talked about missions. So he goes on and he says, don't be swayed by false teachers, those, those who would have you disengage with the world around you and focus on yourself and on your own good. Here, in this passage, they were placed and, and should be established for the, for the good of this territory. We have been placed here. We are placed here for the good of this area, for the good of Somerset and New Richmond and Osceola and Holton and, and on and on and on. We have been placed here for the good of of this place. You are the answer to God's work. People are saying, I need a miracle. 
we are the answers. We are the ones that he sends out. We are the ones he says, you were praying for this. I sent this person to help you. This person's here to meet this need. This person is to encourage you. We are the ones who seek the good of our area. We are the answer that God is giving. And so we are placed here with purpose. There, there are many who were preaching and teaching there that they were not to engage, not to be worried about their neighbors, not worried about the good of their city. And he says that, that don't listen to them. He says these are ones who are asking you to disengage. Think about yourself. Turn inward and think about me, myself, and I. What do I need? There's many who preach and teach a close gospel in our culture today. There's many who preach and teach things that are very, very close to the truth. But what it does is it's off a little bit. And it's like one degree turn, and the later you are down the road, the more you're off course. It just takes one degree, and then you're way over here by the time you should be here. You know what it's like? It's like Asian Jim from The Office. Any Office fans out there? Yeah? Well, I have a clip. Let's see if it works. <laughs> you? I'm Jim. We've been working together for 12 years. We're Joe Dwight. Morning, Dwight. Who are you? Who am I? I'm Jim. We've been working together for 12 years. We're Jug Dwight. You're not Jim. Jim's not Asian. You seriously never noticed? Hey, hats off to you for not seeing race. All right then, Jim. Uh, why don't you tell me about that sale that you made yesterday? Uh, Wellington Systems sold them 10 cases of 24-pound letter stock. Or were you talking about Creek or Murphy because I didn't close that one yet, but I'm hoping I've got a voicemail from Paul Krieger waiting for me. Please enter your password. You have one new message. How did you know? No, no, no. That is sensitive information only for employees, not outsiders. Dwight, cut it out. I'm trying to work. You don't work here. You're not Jim. Jim, I got us that dinner reservation. Greek goes 730. Oh, great. Can't wait. Mm. Jim's at the dentist this morning, and Steve is an actor friend of ours. I don't know who you are, but you are not Jim. This is Jim. Home. Oh, dude. Oh, how did... (gasps) (laughs) The world is so cunning, and Satan is so cunning. Here he has Dwight in this clip just all off. And he knows everything Jim does. The prophets looked just like Jeremiah. They spoke like Jeremiah. They knew all the right things. They, they said all the right things. And the people are like, I don't know who to believe. And the Lord says, believe me. Listen to my voice. Trust what I have said. We, we have to know what he has said. Because just a little variation, and it's way off. 
And so he's saying to them, be paying attention, be, be watchful, listen to my voice, and, and don't get carried away by the world around us. See, the world around you would love to give you Christianity that is about you. It has Jesus. It has great worship music. It sounds the same. They use the scriptures, but they use them in a way that it's like, this is all about you. It's about what God's giving you. It's about how God's doing this for you. It's about how he wants to just bless you, how he wants. It's you, it's you, it's you. No, it's about him and his glory. As we've gone through these pillars, every single one of our pillars here at the bridge finds its foundation, finds its meaning and its purpose in who God is. And we are responding to that. And the relational pillar finds its its foundation, its purpose, its meaning in God. He shows us what relationship looks like. And so we're not to get carried away. It can look really good, and he's saying to his people, it's not me if it's not pointing back to what I've said, if it's not truth. Matthew 24, verse 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. We'll talk about this as we get ready for our Revelation series, but had a great conversation studying uh, this passage with Diane Kearns. Hi, Diane. And uh, we were just thinking, this is amazing, like, that there is going to be a moment where people are saying, here's the Christ, here's the Christ, here's the Christ, and Jesus says, don't listen to that. Don't believe that. I've, I've spoken, I've talked to you, I'm still speaking and talking to you. Listen to what I've revealed. Be obedient to that. Be mindful. So even the exiles are being told the same thing. God is speaking. He doesn't want them to be deceived. That's the thing. Our God does not want us to be deceived. He wants us to know him, to walk with him, to have relationship with him. And so he doesn't want them to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be deceived. Verses 10 through 14 it says this in our passage today. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That beautiful promise. He says, I will visit you. So this was promised Uh, by God through Jeremiah, 70 years, which was fulfilled from the Babylonian victory in 605 B.C. to the first return in 536 B.C. So counting months in there, that's 69 years if you just do the quick math, but in the months in there, it comes to 70 years. So we are to be careful to listen, to know what God has said. Spurgeon put it this way in his commentary on this passage. He says, the prophet had the double duty of putting down their false hopes, and sustaining their right expectations. 
he therefore plainly warned them against expecting more than God had promised. And he aroused them to look for the fulfillment of what he had promised. So we need to be careful not to to have false hope, but to have expectant hope in what he has promised, looking to God for what he has said. He says in a passage, uh, I know the thoughts I have towards you. For I know the plans I have for you. I know the thoughts I have towards you. Look at Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. David says this, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Think about this. God says to his people in this passage, I know the plans I have for you. I know the thoughts I have towards you. And David says, think about how God thinks of us. His thoughts towards you this morning, innumerable, more than the sand on the shore. For you, for you alone, like his thoughts are towards you. And he knows them. I don't know all God's thoughts I don't know all of his thoughts towards me. But God says, I know those things I'm thinking. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. So we can't always know God's thoughts towards us, but we know his character and we know that he is good. We know that he is faithful. We know that he is steadfast, unchanging. So whatever he thinks, it is perfect and it is for our thriving in Christ. Look at Isaiah 55, 9. It says, for as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. His thoughts are perfect towards you, and they're for your good. Isn't that amazing? He says, for I know the plans I have for you in this passage. He says to us, my thoughts are innumerable towards you, and they're higher than yours, and they're for your good because I am good. They're for your benefit, for your thriving, for your redemption, for your sanctification, for your transformation, for bringing you into deeper relationship with me. My thoughts towards you are for your good. So his ways also are higher than our ways, and his ways towards us are in alignment with his thoughts. So sometimes when we're like, I don't understand God, what we do need to understand is that God is good, his thoughts towards us are perfect, and his ways towards us are in alignment with the thoughts he thinks. So Romans 8.28, a beautiful passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What is he doing? He is working in agreement with his thoughts towards you to bring things to good. For those who are called, those who are his people, his thoughts towards them, he works perfectly. We don't always understand, but he works in our circumstances, and this is the result. He works on our behalf. So we can come and call to him. When we don't know or we don't understand, we can come with confidence. He says here, you will call me and I will listen. He says to, that, to them in, in our passage today, you will then call on me and I will listen. So God assures them that their hope and future is going to be as, as he said. 
by allowing them to come to him, knowing that he will listen. Part of the hope and future for both Israel in the Old Testament and for us in Christ in the New Testament is that God still listens. No matter the circumstance, God has an end in mind that culminates with us in his presence around his heavenly throne in a perfect relationship with him. God, through Christ, is working in us to this end. As if, as if he brings us the greatest of blessings to him in the highest of his glory. So he's bringing the greatest of blessings and being magnified in his glory. His end is that we are with him. And he works through that. So he says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Matthew 7, 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask. Seek. It will be open. Knock, it will be open. He's saying, seek me. You will find me. And you seek me with all your heart. Mark 12, 30 says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the promise of fellowship remains. We are to seek him with all that we are. We are to look for him. And he says, what? I will be found. So seeking God means seeking his presence. We are to seek his presence. So we, we want him. There's a lot of things we can seek. There's a lot of different things that we can look for. And when we look at the scriptures, there's a lot of great promises. But over all of that, we should be seeking him. We should be going after Christ in all things. He is our highest good. He is our treasure. He is the one that we want to be with. So we seek God with all that we are. One of the most famous blessings in the scripture comes out of Numbers chapter 6. Verse 24 through 26, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So this, this blessing is the goal. This, this from the Old Testament to his people is the same goal for them as is for us to get back to the presence of God and be complete, have shalom in the light of his presence. He wants us to come and see him, to have his face turned towards us. Relationship is, is one where we want to be in his presence face to face, seeing God, talking to God. As I was thinking about just this blessing here, it's interesting that in our culture, and you see it in, play out in TV and stuff, but in our culture, to turn your back on someone, that's an insult. You know, like you see it in the movies, and they're like, they're arguing, oh, I'm going to, and then the person's like, Psh, whatever, and they turn away, and they're like, hey, don't you turn your back to me. Why? Because you're saying, we're done. We have no relationship. If it was the Godfather, it would be like, oh, you're dead to me. You know? It's turning of the back. Why is it a dreadful thing to turn your back to a king 
or a ruler in, in the medieval times because you're saying you are not one I am in relationship. I'm actually against you. I'm in, in rebellion against you. So for a ruler, they would say, that's treasonous. Off with his head. We turn our back to God all the time. And yet he says, I'm still pursuing. Turn your face back to me. Seek me, you'll find me. He's never left. He's never gone. He, he calls us. He says, come, find me, seek me. And what? Be kept in perfect shalom and perfect peace. That's what he wants. When we are in the presence of God, no matter the circumstance we walk through, we can have shalom. Why? Because God's with me. I can be suffering. I can be in hard circumstances. Things can be going crazy. I may not understand them, but if I'm with God and God's with me, I can have peace in it. That's the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. The world would look at that and say, I don't know how you can have what you have right now. And you can say, because I'm in the presence of God and his shalom rests on me. It covers me. It surrounds me. So all we do in this world is in relationship. In relationship with God and in relationship with others. This passage points that out. The first relationship is, is with God. And we're going to celebrate the relationship we have with Christ as we take the Lord's table. And so let me ask you, you individually, do you have a relationship with God? Have you come to him? Have you received him? Has Christ taken your sin at the cross? Has he paid the penalty for you? That you can have a relationship restored with God, that his nearness is your good, that you can seek him and find him, that his thoughts towards you and his works towards you are all that I just explained and talked about this morning. Have you come and received Jesus? Are you in relationship with God? The second is, what does your relationship with others look like then? If we are in relationship with God, as we seek him, we get closer to him, then our relationships with others change. The way we love our neighbor as ourself looks very different. We, we seek their good. We, we bless, we pray for, we turn the other cheek, we forgive. We, we do all those things that seem so impossible to do because we have relationship with God and the Holy Spirit is within us. He allows us to be transformed and do these things. He helps us do these things. So what does your relationship with others look like? I would venture a guess that if your relationships with others are really struggling, maybe you need to look at the relationship you have with your God. The closer you walk with him, the nearer he is to you, the more your relationships, or at least the way you respond in your relationships change. So seek him. You will find him. He promises that. His nearness is our good. We're going to celebrate that, that the relationship we have with, with Christ is given to us at the cross, that the relationship is restored through Jesus, that those promises that we love out of that passage, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for prosper, for your welfare, for your good, those things 
are given to us in Christ. So we can claim that promise that's so succinct. And the reason we can claim the promise is because it's promised in other places. I wanted you to see that, that God hasn't changed. He still is near. The promise he gave to Israel, he's given us the same promises through Christ. And so we celebrate that at the cross. We celebrate that in remembering at the Lord's table. So as we stand, I'll pray, um, and I just ask that you would evaluate what, what your relationship with God looks like and, and ask God to, to just draw near, wherever you are, to draw near to you, to, to help you be right with him. And then as you finish your time of just praying, as you're ready, you may come and take of the Lord's table. Will you stand with me? We'll, we'll pray. God, we thank you for this passage. You are a relational God, and you have called us to yourself, and you have given us great blessings and great promises, and you don't want us to be deceived. You want us to see the truth and to walk in the truth and, and to walk with you. And God, you, you made a way so that we could have peace with you through the Son. So we want to celebrate that. We come as your people worshiping at the table, celebrating what you have done, the relationship you have established. It's about magnifying you, Lord. You're, you're so good and kind and gracious. We thank you for the salvation we have in Jesus. And we want to remember that just as we have that relationship, you have said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again. So as we take the Lord's table, we remember that you will return. And so we look forward to that. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. But while we are in this place, may we thrive. Physically and spiritually, may we thrive. May we have the good of our, of our community in mind as we bless them by preaching the values of the king and the kingdom and the gospel of peace and, and sharing Christ with them. So we sing and we come in this moment as worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.